0: Guys, we're, we're in Lesson 3. We're, we're not right exactly right in the book of Daniel and the study of it, although we're going to mention Daniel a little bit today. What, I, what, what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to lay down a foundation for you when we, when we look at prophecy. We want to understand prophecy in general. Because the fact of the matter is, is whether you listen to Christian radio or you talk to your friends, you're going to find that there's a lot of different beliefs out there concerning when Jesus is coming back. And so what we've been doing is, this last week we've looked at some different views concerning uh, the return of Jesus Christ. Remember, we looked at uh, dispensational premillennialism. Okay? We looked at historic premillennialism. And then we looked at postmillennialism. Today we're going to look at two more viewpoints one is amillennialism, and the other is preterism. Now, preterism—we're going to spend a little bit of time on that because that—that that is amazingly. I, when I mo- when I started pastoring here, I was kind of shocked to believe that there are, there are actually folks here in our area who believe in preterism or teach preterism. So I thought I would address that, especially there's some kind of a guru—I I mean, an expert or a, a scholar or whatever—up in Bradford, PA, which is not that far from here. So I guess it would make sense that that would be a viewpoint around here. Now, you're saying, George, all these views, why don't you just want to teach us what our view is? Well, I want you, I want, the the exercise is, okay, if I just spoon feed you, all right, you'll get shaken up if somebody comes along and you'll not know how to answer that. You'll not consider it. I, I want you to consider what the views are. But right after the beginning, at the beginning here, I want you to understand how we got the views. Where did they come from? Okay, and if you remember in my first lesson, I told you there's two methods of interpretation, two ancient methods of interpretation. One is the the literal method, okay, in which there are literal letters addressing literal things. Literal, you read it literally based on its grammar and historical context, its cultural context, and you bring the truth out of that. The other method is a method that was really a few years after Jesus' time within the first hundred years was the allegorical method, and that is you'll view it as an allegory and you try to draw the spiritual truths out of that, okay? And and I think it was last week I mentioned if we took four blind guys and positioned them around an elephant and asked them to describe the elephant, okay, by like putting, you know, you know, Describe the outfit. Now they probably would all get the skin texture probably right. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's kind of rough skin, get a little bit of coarse hair there. You know, they'd probably get that part. They'd be similar, but they but it would be from their perspective. That's what happens when you have an allegorical method. You, you're not everybody's going to see the same thing. Okay, so the literal method is the correct method. Now, but here's what happens. Okay, you, you're talking about 2,000 years of history. The most prevalent viewpoint. After Jesus left us, was ascended to heaven, was is that he would return bodily and establish a thousand-year kingdom. Now, that was the most prevalent viewpoint for about 300 years. Something changed after 300 years. First of all, there was other, one other thing that changed we'll talk about here in a moment. But after 300 years, something changed. Anybody know it's a significant turning point in the history of the church? It happened about 320 A.D. Anybody know what happened? Uh, Yeah, the Council of Nicaea happened. Yeah, that's correct. And Constantine is the issue. Uh, Emperor Constantine. What's significant about the Emperor Constantine? Well, the Emperor Constantine made Christianity legal, so to speak. The accepted religion of the Empire. So it went from a persecuted faith to an accepted faith. And so what you begin to see happening is, is that there, there begins to be a shift that maybe we're not, you know, we're not waiting for Jesus to come back to establish it. Maybe we're going to establish it because now we're the accepted faith in the empire. Now you have to understand. To them, it's not like us now where we look, when we talk about having a world perspective, we look at a world and we know that there's a lot more to the world. To them, the known world was what? The Roman Empire. Because the Roman Empire went everywhere in the what? Known world. Okay? So maybe you begin to see a shifting of thinking as far as how they begin to view view eschatology. Now, there was another earlier shift. And that was with regards to Israel and the role of Israel in prophecy. Because in A.D. 70, we're going to talk about it today a little bit with preterism, something happened that was another turning point in the history of the church. And what was that? Anybody know what happened in A.D. 70? A guy by the name of Titus uh, did something very significant. Anybody know? He destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. You know, they had finally had enough of the rebellion of the Jews and uh, whatever for whatever political reasons and maybe even monetary economic reasons, they wiped out the temple. They wiped out Jerusalem, tore it down, destroyed the temple. And since that time, the temple has not been rebuilt, period. In fact, a few hundred years later, when Muhammad would come about 700 years later, Uh, they would build the Dome of the Rock there, which we now have, we see there now. Okay, so what begins to happen is those kind of world events and those things, Christians trying to reconcile those things with prophecy, begin to develop an explanation. So the explanation, obviously, is is God must be done with Israel, so we're the true Israel now. The church is the true Israel. And so you're going to see that, that, especially if you have Presbyterian friends, who are really into, You know, there's, there's different types of people who attend a church. There's, like, people who just attend church, and then there are people who know what their church believes. You, do you know what I mean by that? There's people who just attend a church, and then you know what your church believes. Well, if, you, if it's the Presbyterian and they know what their church believes, they'll, they'll say that there's no difference between the church and Israel. So that's where we're going to see that's coming out of these positions. The two positions we're going to look at today, amillennialism and preterism, are primarily coming out of a reformed background. Actually, what we're going to see with preterism, it doesn't come out of a reformed background, but it's embraced by reformed people. It's more of a Presbyterian type thing. Okay? So let's look at it today. And if you've got questions as we go, just raise your hands and uh, we'll try to see what's happening here. So we're going to talk about amillennialism first. In this belief, the millennium is the spiritual reign of Jesus in the hearts of his followers. The millennium is the spiritual reign of Jesus in the hearts of his followers. So for an amillennialist, the kingdom is now. The millennial kingdom is now because it's it's God's reign, Jesus' reign in your heart. Now let me just stop for a moment. Amillennialism is is an alpha negative in the Latin, so it means there's no millennium. It means no millennium. The literal meaning means no millennium. So they do not believe in a literal kingdom, a little thousand-year kingdom where Jesus rules. Do you understand? So what they're saying is, is that it's the spiritual reign of Jesus in the hearts of his followers. The kingdom of God is God's reign in the world through the church. It's God's reign in the world through the church. This view denies that the nation Israel has any future and that the church is the new Israel. So if you have somebody who, remember postmillennialists were the same way. This view basically is saying that, really, Israel, what's the big deal with Israel? There's no significance to that at all. Because if the church is the new Israel, the Jewish people mean nothing. It's insignificant. It's probably just a fluke in history that they're back there, but really has no meaning. You have to understand, it all comes out of their theology. Now, you might be sitting there and you're talking to a guy who says that, and you're like, Huh? What? You're not going to come together. Because if, you're, if your viewpoint is, is there's no millennium, no literal kingdom, just got, if there's no literal kingdom, there's not going to be any, quote, fulfillment of the promises with Israel. Israel means nothing. It's all, all in the church. Now here, Here's the problem i got to do. I, I remind my friends who hold that is, okay, so you're saying that all the promises, all the promises... Or for the church today? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What about all the curses? Because with the promises, if you read through the Pentateuch and you read through Moses where he gives the promises, and there's also curses there. Are the curses there for the church, too? They don't usually go that far. They don't usually go that far. Because the reality is, is the Jews right now are living under those curses in the Old Testament. You understand? When we see what's happening, those curses are literally being fulfilled right now. and have been for the last 2,000 years. So this view denies that the nation Israel has any future and the church is the new Israel. There is Here's the thing. There's no literal kingdom on earth when Christ returns. Following his return, following Christ's return, there's no literal kingdom. There's no literal kingdom following Christ's return. Bottom line, they don't believe there's going to be a literal kingdom. They believe when Jesus comes back, that's it, baby, it's eternity. It's eternity. It's going to be the judgment, the great white throne judgment, where he judges humanity, and that's it. It's going to be over. Now, Here's what they say about the Great Tribulation, because you might be saying, well, wait a minute now, okay, I see where you're coming from, but what do you do with the book of Revelation where it talks about this tribulational period with all of these judgments and and all these uh, mountains being flattened, skies changing, you know, what about all of this? What do you do with what it's saying there? Now, remember, I told you there's two methods to interpret Scripture. One is a literal method. And if you're saying that, what do you do with that? You're viewing the scripture literally, but there's an allegorical method. And those who would hold to an allegorical method basically see that as an allegory representing something else. And so for them, the Great Tribulation, here's what it is. The Great Tribulation represents wars, disasters, persecutions throughout church history. So for them, seven years doesn't mean seven years. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's an allegory. So everything that's going on right now is part of the great tribulation until Jesus comes back. But somehow in the midst of it, you know, the kingdom is in the hearts of the believers. So that's the amillennial view there. I mean, it's it's really wild. It's really radical. Now, where did this come from? Well, one of the main guys who really is at the heart of amillennialism as far as its emergence, was a guy, uh, a bishop of Hippo, you guys would probably know him, Augustine, or Augustine, St. Augustine, okay, he's one of the main proponents of this in uh, church history. So the belief became popular in the 5th century and has remained throughout church history. So it became popular in the 5th century, and it has remained popular in church history Up until this point now. So there are people, they tend to be Presbyterians or Reformed from the Reformed churches. There are, if if your background is Baptist, there are Reformed Baptists who believe in non-millennialism. Okay? If your background is charismatic or Pentecostal, you're going to be like, where did these people come from? Okay? Because you tend to be dispensational in your thinking. You're like, what? You know, so this, this tends to be those who are more reformed in their thinking and so forth. Amillennialists. Let's go on to preterism now. Preterism is a, a viewpoint that, again, reformed people tend to find. And I have a friend who is a Presbyterian pastor, a colleague, who is a preterist. But there are two types of preterists. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But some of you maybe have been exposed to somebody. Okay, Let me just kind of take a poll here. Uh, in your interaction in our county, have you met somebody who has believed that everything is already taking place in AD 70? Any of you have met somebody who believes that? Wow, okay, good. That's good. Because they're out there, okay? I've met a few. I've had them in my office uh, and talked to me and so forth. So let's talk about this. Preterism. This view holds that the prophecies of the scripture refer to events that have already taken place. So when they view the Scripture and the prophetic things of the Scripture, they're saying that these prophecies have already taken place. Okay? So remember I told you we're going to talk about the book of Daniel for a second? Well, here's where we're going to talk about it. They view the book of Daniel as referring to events that took place in the 2nd century B.C. Specifically, they're, they're viewing it as things that took place specifically under a uh, ruler in, uh, in uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, from the Seleucid Empire, you know, in, during the Greek time of the, of the Middle East, they view these as, as having taken place under Antiochus IV Epiphanes, okay? And uh, so uh, they believe these things took place. Now, when we go through Daniel, you're going to see that, yeah, some of the things did take place under Antiochus Epiphanes, But there are some things that just, there's no way they took place. But again, it's all in your view of how you view the Scripture. How you interpret, it goes down to the interpretation of the Bible. Are you going to view it literally or are you going to view it allegorically? So, that's how they view the book of Daniel. The book of Revelation refers to events that took place in the first century AD. Specifically with the events that took place from Nero up to about Trajan. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Let's talk about the book of Revelation for a second. The key point with these folks, whether they're post-millennialists, amillennialists, or they're preterists, has to do with when you believe the book of Revelation was written. With an amillennialist, a post-millennialist and a preterist, they all believe that the book of Revelation was written prior to A.D. 70. Okay? Prior to A.D. 70. Because there are some scholars who try to put it there as, as far as the timing of the writing of the book of Revelation. Historically, though, and pr- most scholars believe that it was written around A.D. 90, 20 years later. Because the Apostle John did not leave Jerusalem or or get into Asia Minor until about A.D. 75. Until that time he was in Palestine and in the Jerusalem area. Okay? So, what you believe about when it was written will determine a lot about what you believe about what it's saying. So, if you believe it was written after the fall of Jerusalem, and I do. I believe it was written in, in, in the 90s then it can't be talking about the events that happened in Jerusalem in AD 7. Do you understand what I'm saying? It has to be talking about something future. But if you place the date of the book before the events of the fall of Jerusalem, you're saying it's going to refer to those events. And and in a sense, it may look that way, but that's not possible. And again, it depends on your viewpoint of how you interpret the Bible whether you interpret it literally or if you're deep, interpreting it allegorically, okay? So they're saying that the book of Revelation reverses to the event that took place in the first century. Here's what else. Ancient Israel finds its fulfillment in the church. So what they're saying is that ancient Israel is finding its fulfillment in the church with the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. So again, these folks are saying there's a shift in A.D. seventy the fulfillment of Israel and all the promises and so forth are going to find itself over in the church now in A.D. 70. So, okay, let me just stop for a moment. Again, it's how you view it. Because if you're taking it literally, you're thinking, really? Because one of the promises was a land promise where God said to Abraham... Look, from from the River Nile up to the U- River Euphrates, this will be your land. All right, so let's, anybody look at the news lately? That's Egypt all the way over to Syria and Iraq. Is that Christian? That's fulfillment of the church. How's the church doing? Do we own that? No, we don't own that. Ancient Israel finds its fulfillment. In the church, that's, that's what they believe. Here's what, while some hold this view, that a preterist person will say to you, oh, this has been the view since the very beginning. A person who holds preterism, okay, it's their view of the end times, is going to say that this belief has been around since the very beginning. While some hold this view as being held by the early church, it appears in the 17th century. It really shows up in the 17th century. It really doesn't emerge as a prominent viewpoint until the 17th century. Now, here's the significant thing about when it emerges. It does not emerge at first among Protestants. So this doesn't emerge until the 1600s. It doesn't emerge among Protestants. What are you saying, George? Here's what I'm saying. The view was first advocated by the Catholic Church to counter Protestant beliefs about the end times. Okay, now why would the Catholic Church start advocating a position that says that everything's already taken place in AD 70? Why would it do that? Anybody know what if you're going back to the 1600s, most of the of the teaching about the end times, is referring to the Catholic Church, but it's not referring to it in a nice way. What, what, what would they be saying about the Catholic Church? Yeah, that, from the time of Luther on, when it talked about the end times, and especially about the book of Revelation, the Protestant Church is referring to the great horror of the book of Revelation, she sits on seven mountains, seven hills. Where's Rome? On seven hills. They're referring to it as the great whore. So, Catholic Church begins to advocate a position. Maybe one of their scholars came up with it or whatever. But they begin to advocate it to counter the Protestant teaching and they begin to start saying that everything took place when? A.D. 70. All the fulfillments already, we're not the great whore. Everything took place back then. And again, it's your view of how you view the scripture. So again, you remember what I'm saying. Do you understand? A lot of times when we talk about these views, they emerge out of people trying to understand what's going on in their times right now. And it affects how they begin to view the Bible or Bible prophecy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So... Really, it's, it's a view that was first advocated by the Catholics. Now, you say, well, how did the Protestants, because, like, if, I got, if you got a friend who's, like, I know some people who do this, they're, they're not Catholics, they're Protestants. How did they end up grabbing a hold of this view? Well, it doesn't start, emerge, doesn't begin to be accepted in Protestantism until uh, the end of the 19th century, until the end of the 1800s. So really in the last 100, 150 years, it begins to emerge in the, in the Protestant church. And again, it's not that uh, there are some a lot of Presbyterians who hold to a preterism, but we're going to talk about there's two types of preterism. Okay? But it's, so it's first a Catholic position, then it's uh, embraced by the Protestant. Now, here's what some of those who are in preterism hold that Emperor Nero of Rome was the Antichrist. So, with some of these folks, they believe that the Emperor Nero of Rome was the Antichrist. Now, here's the problem, though: when Jerusalem is destroyed, Nero was dead. He's not the emperor at the time. There was, I think, it was the best, there was a couple of other emperors short emperors, but it was near it was Titus's dad who was the Vespian, I think his name was, who was the the Emperor. Now the tribulation to a preterist refers to the Jewish war and affected only Jews, not other people. Okay, so again, when you read the book of Revelation, so Bruce, when you're reading through the book of Revelation and you're reading through the the uh, the plagues, the bull trumpet judgments, uh, the seal judgments When you read that, who does it look like it's affecting to you when you read it? Yeah. Just in a certain area or all over the world? All over the world. But when a preterist reads it, they're reading it as it's only affecting Jews only. And it's with regards to the destruction of the temple. How can they do that? Well, if you're viewing it as an allegory, not a literal Okay, so we're getting back to methods of interpretation. Does everybody understand? It's all in how you view the scripture. So there are two groups of preterists. Two groups of preterist belief. There's partial preterism and full preterism. Partial preterism and full preterism. So, and there's a distinction between the two. We're going to make it as we go on here. Now, partial preterists... Hold that all prophecies and judgments occurred in A.D. 70 except two things. A partial preterist would say everything is taking place in A.D. 70 except two things. The two things are the second coming of Jesus, Jesus hasn't come back yet, and the resurrection of the dead. So for a partial preterist, they're going to say that Everything's already taken place except these two events. Now, there are some significant people who, uh, scholars who, I'll, I'll give you, like for how many of you ever heard of the scholar by the name of R.C. Sproul? Okay. R.C. Sproul is a partial preterist. How many of you remember the Bible Answer Man, Hank Hanegraaff from the radio? I mean, Bible Answer Man? Okay, he's not, he's not on our radio station around here, but if you listen to other radio stations, you'll hear about Hank Hanegraaff. Hank Hanegraaff is a partial preterist. They believe that everything has taken place except the second coming and the resurrection of the dead. So partial preterism. Primarily they're they're Presbyterian. R.C. Sproul is a Presbyterian. Hank Hanegraaff is a Presbyterian. Hank Hanegraaff originally came out of, let me remember the late B. James Kennedy. You were hearing about D. James Kennedy, the Presbyterian pastor down in Florida. was very involved in politics also as well. He came out of, out of that church. Now, full preterism believes that all occurred in A.D. 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem. So a full preterist, okay, you ready for this, believes that everything including the second coming and the resurrection of the dead, all happened in AD 70. So if you're like me, you're like, really? Where is he? Really? Where's he been for the last... I mean, did he like go on... He came and he went on a vacation for 1900 years? I mean, what's, what's going on here? They view it as a spiritual return. Not necessarily a bodily return. Now, remember when I told you, the key doctrine to hold to is whether or not you believe he's going to return bodily. Do you understand what I'm saying? They view it as a spiritual return. So, full preterism believes that the second coming is symbolic of the judgment against Israel. So, they view the second coming as a symbolism thing. Not as a literal thing, but as a symbolic judgment against Israel. Like, where do you get that? If you're using an allegorical method, that's where you get it from. If you're using an allegorical method of interpretation, that's where you get it from. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Partial preterism views full preterism as heretical. So should you. Do you understand what I'm saying? A partial preterist would look at somebody who holds the full preterism as it being a symbol or whatever, they would look at that as being heretical. Why? Because a partial preterist believes in a bodily return of Jesus. Do you understand? But when you talk about a full preterist who says it's just a symbol, it's already happened and everything, they would say they've gone wrong and that's heretical. That's heretical. Now, that's the end of that lesson. Now, next week, what we're going to do is, next week, we're going to spend one whole week talking about the tribulation and the second coming. So, what we're going to do is, we're going to talk about the rapture. I'm going to present to you six views of the rapture. Six views of the rapture. And we're going to talk about that. That's next week.